good starting point. It would be one thing for us to simply get up to, uh, in front of you guys every night and say, this is what the Bible says about manhood. But it's, it's not quite that simple. It, it would be if we were speaking to you in a vacuum. If every one of us were starting from a neutral position on issues like manhood and womanhood, dating and marriage, but we aren't. And that is because we live in a world and in a culture that has told you a million things about manhood before you got here tonight. And is telling you those things every day about manhood. And, and things that you, when I say tell you, they, they may sometimes have explicitly said, this is what a man is. This is what a man does. But more often than not, it was not told to you verbally. It was something that was shown to you over and over and over again. It was a practice that you engaged in over and over and over again without even realizing that that was teaching you about manhood. And, and for men, of course, that, that may have played out in, in certain practices or rites of passage that you kind of encountered as you grew up throughout your life. For women, it may have taken place watching your dad or in the way that you interact with your dad and your dad interacted with you. Um, but through media, through family, through school, through friends, over and over again, we are told this is what a man is. And, and this is what a woman is. And this is what marriage or dating or sex is. And that's why we're going to start every night by just taking a short time. It will hopefully be 15 minutes um, in which we just want to tell you this is what the world has been telling you. Whether you know it or not, this is, this is the, the classroom you've sat in every day of your life on the issue of manhood or womanhood. And so we want to do that. We want to take 15 minutes to kind of say, this is what the world says, so that we can then make it clear and make it visible and then hold it up next to the Scriptures to see how it compares. Because the lessons that are oftentimes the most formative to us are the ones we don't even know we're hearing or don't even know we're learning. So we want to try to do that um, at the beginning. Um, of course, on this first topic, it becomes a little iffy. It's, it's difficult to say exactly this is what the world is telling you about manhood. And the reason why is because the world itself confesses we don't really know about manhood very much. There have, there have been actually a number of us, I was just kind of uh, like Googling like defini definitions of manhood or, or world's definitions of manhood, those kinds of things, and came across a number of sites uh, in which people like there's this one from New York Magazine and they were literally just putting together paragraphs from other magazines or other websites or other things kind of trying to get a grasp on what their world was saying about manhood and they kind of come to the end and go, we don't know. We can't figure it out exactly. And there are a number of uh, websites and kind of articles like that saying that, that manhood is, for whatever reason right now, a difficult thing to pin down, to, to define, to say this is what it means to be a man. People are struggling with it. Um, and that's mainly because there's, there's at least kind of two main spectrums or ends of the spectrum. And, and the first is the traditional definition that has been used for much of history to define what a man is. And this is your stereotypical manly man. I don't even have to describe it too much because you can already kind of picture it in your head. The stereotypical manly man is big and gruff and he is tough and he is uh, strong, never backs down from a fight, is aggressive 
and, and ready to get in and kind of take care of business when it needs to be taken care of. Um, words like words that may have been told you from your own dad, son, men don't cry. That's, that's the definition of what a man is. A man is one that does not show weakness, does not show vulnerability, often does not show much emotion other than anger at all. Because showing emotion shows some level of weakness, shows some level of vulnerability. Men are, um, men are, I mean, it's your standard. Men go out into the woods and kill stuff, right? And skin it with their teeth. And uh, men go out and punch bears in the face. And that, that kind of like over-the-top, like um, over-the-top definition of what things look like often For the traditional understanding of men, men are marked by their athletic prowess and by their sexual conquests. Um, The ability to be bigger and stronger and more powerful than men and to be able to sleep with as many women as they can, that makes a man. And sometimes that's said out loud, but oftentimes that's just shown to you over and over and over again by the movies you watch and by the people that we lift up um, throughout time. Now... um, some of you, as I said, yes, yeah, some of you were told explicitly, you had dads who said, this is what it means to be a man. This is how you live your life. Uh, I still remember being like 14 and, and being surprised that my friend who was in my youth group, we were on a, we were on a conference, this Christ in Youth Move conference or whatever, and I remember seeing in his pocket or in his wallet this little ring in the back of it, being like, what in the world is that, you know, and, and asking about this, and him telling me, that's, uh, that's a condom, my, my dad gave that to me, um, my, you know, my dad gave that to me, and said, hey, it's gonna, it's gonna come, it's gonna happen, that time's gonna come where you're gonna be with the girl, and you're gonna wanna have sex with her, and so, just make sure you use protection when you do, and the expectation is this, boys will be what? It's what they do. And so listen, I know I could tell you don't do that, but that's just waste of my breath. So I may as well just make sure that you do it wisely. Make sure that you're safe in doing those things, that you don't, that you don't do something dumb, that you don't get some girl pregnant and have to pay the consequences for that. And so rather than telling him not to, rather than telling him this is what God calls you to, he just said, hey, just make sure that you're smart when you do this. I remember that just taking me back. Some of you guys may have grown up in a family in which your dad just made it pretty clear what he really thought uh, manhood was about and what he expected. He may have said things to you like, men don't cry. Um, he, may have, he may have tried to explain to you that to be a real man means that if anybody ever messes with you, you mess with them back. But you never walk away from a fight. For some of you, your dads never said it. They just showed it. Uh, some of you, some of you can, or can count like on one hand the number of times you ever heard your dad say the words I love you. Because that just, that's, just not, that's just not what men do, at least in, in your household. Some of you uh, can't count at all the number of times you've ever seen your dad cry. And he may have never said anything to you like men don't cry, but it was, it was a message that got sent loud and clear that this is just not what we do. Some of you were told, again, not with words, but by the fact that your, your dad for your entire life um, has remained emotionally distant from you, like 10 feet away from you in the house, 
but may as well be in eternity as he sits on his recliner and watches TV all day. Or, or may as well be miles away to the garage where he sits out there and just tinkers around on stuff because he, he doesn't know how. Um, his dad told him or showed him that manhood means messing with stuff and not engaging in anything vulnerable, any sort of relationship or anything like that that might show you as weak. Um, and so he carried on what his dad showed him or told him to do. Now listen, there is some nugget of truth to the traditional definition of manhood. This idea of a wildness in men, this idea of, of being someone who goes out and conquers, this, there's something to that. There is something that is true and right and good in there. David in the Bible is honored and kind of lifted up for his valiant heroism, for being a warrior who does what is good and right. Joshua is lifted up for the same reasons. And you could go through the scriptures and, and there are men who this kind of traditional understanding of what a man is seems to in some ways match up with stuff. Jesus um, was not one to go around just picking fights, but he did not mind, you know, stringing together a whip and throwing some tables over when the time called for it, right? When, when wrong was being done, Jesus did not mind confronting that, did not mind stepping into a fight if necessary. Um, not for his own pride or honor, but for something bigger and greater. And so there's some bit of truth to this, but the problem when we say this is what manhood is, is you like sports and you like cars and you build stuff and you don't cry, is, is well, there's a number of things. On one level, I, I fear that it actually limits manhood to a personality type. It says that... that only those under this given personality really fit in this. And, I, and, and it is my belief, actually, that, that, we have, uh, that we have confused sometimes in the past young generations of boys who just weren't interested in sports, who just didn't like hunting for whatever reason. And, and when we said that that's not manly, that that's not, then we, we told them certain things about themselves without realizing we were telling them something. We told them that, well, I, you act more like a woman. Uh, and my fear is that that has confused a number of men in their life and all, has often led to some wrong things. I think I've shared, you with, uh, shared this with you. In, in Genesis, early on, Isaac has these two boys, Jacob and Esau. And one of them, Esau, loves to go out and hunt. And he's hairy and he's big and he's brash and he's strong and he's like a man of the wilderness. Loves to be out camping and killing things and all of that kind of stuff. And Jacob, on the other hand, is, uh, loves to stay at home. Loves to cook. Is a bit of a mama's boy. Loves to be close to her. Which one does the Bible say is the manly one? Neither. The Bible does not actually say this hunting stuff and being big and brash and hairy, that's manhood. But, but Jacob, he's a little bit... No, actually, Jacob is the father of nations. <coughs> Jacob is the one who wrestles with God. Both actually fit in the category of manhood. And so this leads to what has been kind of a pushback against the traditional definition of manhood in recent years. People have viewed this idea of manhood, of being big and brash and aggressive and strong, as outdated, unhealthy, and, and many would say even, uh, maybe you could say violent, one that has caused a lot of problems in society, one that has caused uh, oppression of women and 
problems uh, towards the week and those kinds of things. And so there's been this swing back to say that a guy, no, a guy isn't those things. A, a real man is one who can be sensitive, who can be in touch with his feminine side, with you, if you will, to be in touch with his feelings. And so there has been, a, particularly among younger generations, among millennials, kind of this push towards like a well-groomed man, someone who you know puts a lot of product in his hair, someone who dresses really nice, someone who wears you know skinny jeans and maybe even concealer from time to time, <laughs> who gets manicures. Literally, those, these are things, right? Who do these things that this is what man it now. Of the two, you know, male college ministers here, it's easy to tell which one of us falls into that, right? <laughs> Clearly, Scott. Um, so, these are, but these are not skinny jeans. These are slim. Okay, just there's a di- there's a difference, and I've never, I don't even think I fully know what concealer is actually. So I've got that going for me at least, and I got a beard, people. So um, I'm just, I know nobody was saying anything. I could just feel the judgment already. <laughs> Okay, so look at the beard, people. Um, actually, no, I, I, I read somebody who say, like, because we don't know what, what people have actually started doing to kind of define manhood in some ways is almost um, play the role and also play the anti-role at the same time. Uh, and so that they say, actually, like, manhood is a guy with a really big beard eating a kale salad, right? <laughs> like, that's... That's really like this weird kind of we don't know and so trying to kind of hold to both of these things and grab a hold of them at the same time. And so, um, so yeah, this, this pushback against traditional manhood and, and many would say that it is marked by your level of comfort with, with uh, more feminine expressions or with your ability to be comfortable um, without those traditional understandings of manhood. That's what a real man is. A real man doesn't need to stand behind all of those things. A real man can be sensitive. A real man can wear a salmon-colored shirt or whatever you might say is, is what manhood is. Amen. Um, and listen, I, I do actually think that there's something also actually good to this. David, who is honored for being a valiant warrior, is also lifted up for being a poet. And, and, is, and there's never been a more tender-hearted, compassionate human being to walk this planet than Jesus himself, who embodies for us what manhood ought to be about. And so actually, this, this idea is okay and right and good too. At least there is a piece of it. There's something that is true there. But, but just like the other side, I think it fails to give us a greater picture of Uh, things are to say that you ought to strip men of all of that wildness and and to strip them of some of the kind of natural rough and tumble that seems to be in boys to say that that needs to all go in order to be a really like true and sophisticated and well-adjusted man something about that seems to be missing the point as well and I think we ought to say it's worth saying let's not pretend that this version of manhood is all that more progressive Dude, the guy who's well-groomed is doing it because he wants to sleep with as many girls as he can as well. It's not that he has a greater level of honor towards them or a greater level of dignity in those things. And when we say sensitive, often guys who get kind of deemed as the more sensitive type and because it has a lot more to do with product that they put in their hair with than with the fact that they're actually vulnerable. 
and open about what is true or real in their lives and in their hearts. And so to, to pretend that this is the more sophisticated version, I think, misses the point also. Actually, the problem with both of these things is that we're dealing with surface things in our definition of man, manhood. We're dealing with the way you dress, basically. We're dealing with how fast you run. We're dealing with surface-level things to explain whether or not a person is a man, and that's not what we're after. We're after something deeper. So let me pause for just a minute. I want to finish with this, actually, to talk about what I think is uh, those two things are kind of lifted up at the top, this debate between traditional or non-traditional understandings of what manhood is. But there's another message that is actually given to us, and I think this is the one that lies underneath the surface and the one that most people won't even say out loud, and that's why I think it has the potential to do the most damage to us in our understanding of manhood. And that is this, that a man, a true man, sees and takes what he wants. A true man is someone who is able to take what he wants. Kind of a natural expression of this is an athlete out on a football field. And that, that one athlete who is bigger and stronger than everybody else and sees the end zone and he is able to get there and nothing stands in his way, we all stand back and we go, dang, that dude is a stud. We say, That's a man right there. We say things like, you'll even hear this expression in athletics, that dude is a man among boys. Because that's the definition of a man, is the one who lets nothing stand in the way of what he wants, who is able to get there regardless of the obstacles, regardless of who may try to stand in his way. And I'm not even saying it's not bad to do that on the sports field, right? It's not bad to do that in football or in basketball or in whatever arena, but we carry that same idea into life. We see that a, a man, not always measured by physical prowess, sometimes a man who is able to work his way to the top of the corporate ladder, a man who is able to take his business from rags to riches, take it from the bottom to the top, we look at those men and we admire them. We put those men on the front of magazines. We talk about the influence that they have and we long to be like that. The man who's able to have whatever he wants. The man who's able to surround himself with whatever toys and whatever size house and whatever women he may want to be around him. That is a man who is lifted up. And even though it may not ever be said out loud, although sometimes I think this is actually said out loud, men, real men, get what they want. Put their minds to it and they go get it. Sometimes I think that is expressed out loud. Oftentimes it is not, but it is celebrated. It's celebrated in our sports. It's celebrated in our movies. It's celebrated in our shows and in our magazines. These are the men we try to emulate. Have you ever noticed that even in a day and age where sexual freedom is kind of touted as an end-all, be-all, one of the highest forms of human expression, this is held out high in our culture, that you ought to be able to sleep with whoever you want as a form of your own identity. And yet, even in our own culture, even in this culture, when a woman does that, when a woman has a reputation for sleeping with a lot of guys, uh, she's often referred to in derogatory terms. When a woman has that reputation, that's not a good reputation. But when a man sleeps with a lot of women, like he's celebrated for that. That's the kind of guy you want to be like. That's, that's the kind of guy that's lifted up when Wilt Chamberlain says that he slept with a thousand women. Was it a thousand or ten thousand women? When he, when he holds out this high number, people don't go, man, that's sick, dude. <laughs> That's, that's supposed to be, that's, that's bragging. And even in a culture that says, yeah, sexual freedom, this is a good and right thing, 
puts down women for doing it and lifts up men. Why? Because what a man is doing is seeing what he wants and he takes it. When a man sleeps with a lot of women, it's considered conquering. It's considered accomplishing. It's considered a goal that he crosses. Um, here's where feminism has gotten things right. Feminism has rightly pointed out the flaws of a male-dominated society in which men come and they try to take what they want, often at the cost of women. And feminism has pointed out the harm that that does to our society, the way that warps both men and women and children as well. Where feminism, I think, often gets it wrong is the solution that they give is that women ought to be able to be just as selfish as the men. And this is why there's a podcast that I, I, I read about a little while ago, these women, and the whole point of the podcast is that they, every episode is them telling stories about men that they've slept with in their lives, their own sexual conquests. And the point is, they even say to them, the point is to combat slut-shaming, right? To, to combat this and to say, no, no, we can do this too. That, that we ought to be able to have just as much freedom to use or consume another human being without feeling any responsibility towards that person. And so we ought to be able to celebrate those things as well. The, the, the pro-choice the, yeah, the pro mindset that a woman ought to be able to have an abortion is simply saying it is not right or fair for men to get to sleep with whoever they want and pay no consequences for that. But if a woman does that and gets pregnant, then she's then on the hook for that. And that's not right. A woman ought to have rights to her own what? Body. Just like a man does. And the answer is actually no, neither. The Bible teaches that you don't have rights to your own body. Actually, that belongs to someone higher and greater, and then it belongs to those around you. And so the answer is not for people to become more selfish, but for men to begin to give that up. Um, let me add one other definition to that. So a man is one who takes what he wants. The problem with this is that doesn't always work out for most men, actually. Most men aren't the strongest and most powerful man on the football field. Most men aren't able to rise to the top of their corporation or build their business up to be one of the most uh, powerful or wealthy in the country. Most of them, either from a lack of ability or bad luck or laziness or just the flaws in the system, are not able to take what they want. And so I would add that this little kind of disclaimer has been added to the bottom, uh, to the bottom of that. Men... Uh, real men take what they want, but if they can't, they take what they can get. They take what they can get. And so the way this plays out is a lot of men have resigned themselves to the fact that I cannot have all the things I want, but I will hold in whatever way I can to the little pleasures that I still want. Um, so, so this looks like the, the dad who goes to work and has to answer to a boss that he doesn't like and he's not climbing the corporate ladder but he comes home every day basically with this attitude I work hard at a job I hate to provide for this family and so I deserve to sit in this chair and be undisturbed by the rest of you for a few hours when I get home at night I deserve this chance to, to sit here and relax when I work hard all day or, or to come home and say, I'm not in control of my job. I'm not in control of what happens there. And I want to come home, but I'm not in control of my own house. My wife kind of runs it and has things everywhere. And so I retreat off into, um, we call it a man cave, right? 
or into the garage. And, and again, I'm not even dogging like having a room, like a sports room or anything like that. But the concept is this is a place where I get what I want. This is a place where, like, I don't, I don't get it everywhere else I want. And, and so what happens is, is a man is not aggressively taking what he wants, but by his own passivity, he is shrugging responsibility in order to still have some level of freedom or to have some level of his own space in order to still focus on himself. And these things happen in a, a, a myriad of ways. This is basically, actually, every sitcom dad for the last 40 years, if you think about it, Right? is the idiot who's not really able to kind of maintain his own home and, and the wife has everything figured out and he, he's at least smart enough to know to kind of keep the peace and stay out of the way so that he can have his own space and do his own thing. Um, for many years, uh, for many of you, that might have been your dad. Um, for many of you, it may have been your mom who ran the house because he was shirking responsibility. One thing, as I said, sits at the center of both of these things, and that is selfishness. Uh, Bo Hughes, uh, one pastor, as I've heard him describe, is men's two greatest temptations in life are selfish aggression or selfish passivity. To focus on the self, this plays out in our use of pornography because what it is is a consuming of other people for my needs. You may have noticed Dr. Fobert actually um, when he sat up here last week. I don't think, if I remember right, he never uses the word looking at pornography or viewing pornography. He always uses the term using pornography because that is what we do. When we take other pictures of people, we use them for our own personal pleasure. And, and so this idea that a man gets what he wants, whether that's through aggression or passivity that holds on to whatever he can, um, leads to us using pornography. It, it warps the way that women are viewed and treated by men. It works its way out in laziness at school or in your work, in a life that would much rather be doing um, sitting at home and watching TV or playing video games than serving other people around you. It, play, it works itself out in a passivity at home that does not lead or take responsibility. Um, men, over and over again in your life, you will be told or at least shown um, that you are expected and, and it is okay and it is even right for you to go after what you want. Whatever that may cost you, whatever that may cost others around you. And, and some of you will work that out through aggression or some of you will be tempted to work that out through aggression. Some of you will be tempted to work that out through passivity. But my uh, plea with you is to reject selfishness. Women, um, my plea with you is to never settle for men who are really selfish boys uh, in disguise and, and to challenge us towards greater things than that. And those greater things are some of the stuff that Scott is going to talk about in just a moment. We'll take a couple minutes and then he'll get up. He's going to come up afterwards. Okay, cool. 
gonna unplug this and shut it. It actually goes in my bag. It's mine. Oh, it's yours. Yep. Hi, Chloe. Oh, my God. All right, find a seat. Okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay. So, like Drew said, you know, what we're planning on doing is spending the first half just describing and defining a little bit of how, how you've um, maybe experienced these things in the world and how they've been defined to you. And then the second half to spend looking at the Bible and seeing what God has to say about this. And the, the trouble with this is that trying to define biblical manhood is kind of like trying to explain what a hipster is to your grandpa. <laughs> I mean, how do you do that? How do you explain um, flannel? No, okay. So, jeans. Um, I just take you and show you, right? I just gotta just come here and you'll see. Is it a hippie? No, no, it's not a hippie, right? So you you gotta like try to. There's no. There may be a definition. I haven't really heard of a great one, but you, to try to explain it, you just gotta show. And. And it's, it kind of reminds me of, of when um, the church was trying to define what the Trinity is. It's the same kind of idea. The church, there's nowhere in the Bible does God say, this is how I am and this is how I work. Actually, he says, I am who I am. But he's, he doesn't ever say, this is how I work. Cause what, what the early church had to do as, as the identity of Jesus was being attacked, they had to go back to the Bible and go, okay, so the, the scriptures say that there is one God, but it also says that Father is God and the Son is God and the Spirit is God. So there's one God, but these three are all God. So they had to like formulate this idea and go, okay, I think this is what the Bible is saying about God, that there is three in one, and it's a mystery, and it's, and it's beautiful, and but trying to define what, because nowhere in the Bible does, does God ever come down and say, this is what it means to be a man. This is what biblical manhood, this is how I define masculinity. And I'm kind of glad he doesn't. Um, because I think, we would, I think we would abuse it at some level. But what he, what he does is he reveals himself. And what he does is, is, is he reveals his people. And so... I'm going to, here in a second, I'm going to, we're going to look at a couple passages where 
where I think you can say you can see some some glimpses of um, the godly masculinity and and really i'm 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 walking on somewhat thin ice this is somewhat like sanctified speculation if you know what I'm saying this is a this is me just and, and not just me I mean there's a lot of people have written about this and and you can and, and, and they'll try to give you a definition and it's it's their own conclusion of looking at all the stories and all the evidences. And so, actually, the two, the two scriptures that we're going to look at, the purpose of those isn't to define manhood at all. Like, at all, at all. But, like, we're going to see some things, maybe a pattern in some of these things. And then I am going to give a definition. Actually, I'm going to give two, two definitions, two of my favorites that I've come across that have really helped me. And I hope that this can become practical um, for you. And so, guys, I want you to hear this, and I want you to, as you're hearing this, I want you to think about, um, I want you to think about your present roles and responsibilities and relationships, okay, and how this, how this impacts the, you now currently. But I also want you to keep in mind of the future things that, that are coming. Um, and I think somehow keeping those things in mind can keep you grounded and can keep, maybe keep you heading in the right direction because there is a real tendency in this age, and you're not the first group to do this, although you get blamed for this a lot, to put off responsibility. But actually it started a long time ago. Um, and actually there's a fascinating book on the history of education and how education has, has caused young people to put off responsibility because they used to work full-time when they were 14, 15, 16, and then the Great Depression hit, and they're like, hey, there's no jobs for you. All right, guess you got to go to school. All right, high school. And then we'll work. And it was like, eh, college. And then we'll work. And now it's like, master's degree. And then we'll work. And so you can see, like, through the last several decades of, like, responsibility is somewhere out there, but I don't know. I'm just going to live in the now. Right? So that's a real tendency, and I want you to be reminded that, hey, there's some things coming. Um, Not just Jesus. (laughs) But he's coming. But there's some other things coming too. Um, not as cool as Jesus coming. But anyway, all right. So I want to start with a foundation that, that uh, some of you have maybe heard me talk about and heard us talk about. Um, but, but we've got to start there. And it starts with our identity as men and women. So turn to Genesis 1 in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. The other thing I thought that would be Anthony reminded me. The other thing I thought is really difficult to try to explain. You just got to show is describing Anthony to your friends. How do you do that? You just he is one of a kind. You just got to. Yeah, you are. All right, I digress. So Genesis one twenty seven says, "So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him." By the way, the word man is the, is the Hebrew word for Adam. It's hu- humanity. So he created humanity in his own image. And it's in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And those two words obviously are different. And we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about that later. But a couple things I want to point out about this that I find fascinating. That just, it's kind of 
interesting to think about. God is not male or female. We talk about Him as Father um, because that's the only, that's the only, that's a major paradigm that, that helps us grasp Him and His role sometimes. But God is not male or female. Um, both male and female reveal God and um, in, in, in unique ways. Okay? And then also, individuals re- reveal God in unique ways. And so, you, you, one gender would not be, one gender's revelation of God, one gender's like um, pointing to God would not be enough. So, so think about that. It, it requires two genders. It requires male and female to be able to give us a, an idea of who God is. And, and so, I find that fascinating. So, in general ways, both men and women reveal God and, and, and bring glory to God, and, and that's how we're made, that we're made to bring glory to God. The Westminster Confession, I love, I've been saying a lot lately because it really speaks to me, is this idea that what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end? What is the, the ultimate purpose of, of people? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, Right? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You were made to bring glory to God, and all of us reveal God and, 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 and bring glory to God in unique ways, and, and that's how we were made. So you're made in the image of God, but then sin happens. Sinfulness takes place, and, and we, we take the things that God gives us, and we want to use them for our own purposes, and, and, and fractures this relationship that we have with Him. So God immediately sets in plan this 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 gospel plan to redeem and restore the world back to Himself. And so, um, those that place their faith and trust in Jesus and trust Him for their, their life and their salvation and are, are reconciled to God. And now, when we were first made in the image of God and sin fractured that, now we're remade in the image of Christ. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And so you are being, as a follower of Jesus, you are being, by the power of the Spirit, being remade in the image of God. You're being sanctified. You're being set apart. You're being made holy for Him. And so you, have, you are a new creation, uh, creation in Him. And so, one way I like to think of it, in, in fact, uh, in a book by Eric Mason called Restored Manhood, or Manhood Restored, he talks about this, and I, I like this picture because it really was really helpful. That we are all created um, to be in relationship with God. I'll put this right here. We're made to be in relationship with God. Okay, we're relational beings. God's a relational being. He created out of love, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit, list, existing forever in perfect harmony, in unity, in diversity, and and you have God creating out of that. Right, creating out of love um, to to be loved back, to be glorified by His creation. And so we're created to be in relationship with God. We're also created to represent God. Like I said, we we were created to bring God glory. Every single one of us, in the way we relate to others, we're we're created to represent Him, to be a mirror that points to Him. When people get to know us, they should. Um, they should get to know 
God, they should see God in some weird way. I have a friend named Jade Molina. He's, he's a manly man. Okay, what I'm about to tell you, no matter what I'm about to tell you, he's a manly man. He was a trainer for like pro athletes. He's, he's an awesome dude. Love this guy. He's my best friend, one of my best friends in California. And, but he would always talk about how we should be like Pixie, like the, the Tinkerbell, right? Pixie dust. Whenever you bump into somebody, a little bit of dust, you know, fall off and Holy Ghost dust or whatever, I don't know. But, but the, like when people get to know you and bump into you, they, they should, we were made to reveal God and to bring glory to God. That's how we were made, to represent Him. We're also made to carry out responsibilities. So God is a, is a God who sees what needs to be done. And He's given us each a significant role in carrying out these responsibilities. Like, he's, he's placed things under your care, even now, all of you. He's, he's given you roles and relationships and responsibilities that, that He wants you to, to, to carry out for His purposes, ultimately, ultimately to bring Him glory. Look at the very next verse, Genesis 1.28. says, and God blessed them. So think about this. He made them. And then he blessed them. I think that's a really, I always skip over that line. It, it hit me today. I was g- jumping to the next part where he tells them what to do. But it just hit me like, he blessed them. What does that mean? I don't know. But he did it. And then it says, And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gives them responsibility and says, these things I'm placing under your care to rule and to reign for my glory. So fill the earth and bring me glory. That's what Jesus is saying, or what God is saying. But the thing about this representing God and the thing about this carrying out our responsibilities is we can't do those without being in relation with Him. Like we can't represent God well. And we will represent something, all of us, will represent something. Um, but we can't represent God, like the, the real God, Yahweh. We can't represent Him without being in relationship with Him. We can't be in relationship with Him without dealing with Jesus and being reconciled because of what Jesus has done. And so we've got to stay in relationship with Him. And we can't carry out these responsibilities He's given us. We can't do the things that God's called us to do for His purposes and glory unless we stay in relationship with Him. He's, he's the key, Right? To keep all this to work, so that's that's the this is this is where we're at. all these things. No matter where you go, no matter who you relate with, no matter what job you have or what circumstances you find yourself in, all of you in that moment have an opportunity to to represent God and to carry out the things He's called you to. And you can't do that without a relationship with Him. And so, so we we come into this world and now. We, we've got this, this incredible beginning, this incredible identity. And so I want to look at a couple examples. And the examples I'm choosing will, will make more sense as we go on. But I, I find them really fascinating. So turn to Exodus chapter 2 to see the first example of God. What I, what I believe to be, okay, I'm going out on a limb to say, God is demonstrating at some level... Um, like God revealing masculinity. <coughs> the end of chapter 2 in Exodus. So you know the story. Um, 
Jacob and all his sons are now in Egypt because of the famine and Joseph and that whole story. Great story. If you don't know it, read it. So they're in Egypt. They find themselves there. The guy that, that made Jacob, or sorry, Joseph, the second in command, he dies. And then, and then eventually they forget why the Israelites are there. And there's so many of them. They make them slaves. And then, and then we get to the end of chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry and rescue from, the, from slavery came up to God. So I want, you to, I want you to underline a couple words, if you want. You don't have to. And God heard. There's, there's the first word. I don't know what other translation what it says. but And God heard their groaning. And God remembered. That's the second word. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And God saw, there's a third word, the people of Israel. And ESV says, and God knew. What does NIV say? Anybody else have it? What's the very last line? And God is concerned about them? Okay. I like knew because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't explain anything. It just says, and God knew. Um, but, so, the, uh, you can underline that word if you want, or, the, all of chapter 3 is God acting. So, if that word was there, I would have you underline it, but, but all of tra- chapter 3 is God acting, moving to action. So, you have God, lis- God listening, God hearing their cry, um, God remembering His covenant, God looking into their need. And then God moving to action. So you have, you have the burning bush that's not burning up. And God speaks to Moses and he says in verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in, who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land um, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so God... He, he, he hears their cry, he, he remembers their covenant, he looks into their need, and he moves into action. I think, I think those, those words really do help bring some definition for me. Like, I think this is what we're called to. I, I, you, you can't, um, I don't know of a, of a healthy male who doesn't see a movie about a person who hears of someone in hurting, who remembers what's important, remembers um, what's significant and then looks into the need to know what to do and then moves with action, right? And, and it doesn't matter if it's a Gladiator movie or a Braveheart movie or if like it's Mr. Holland's Opus. You guys know what that movie is? Mr. Holland's Opus, right? Yeah. So any, any movie where you, you see a person who, who recognizes there's hurting or pain or brokenness or something's not right or injustice and remembers like what's really important and then and then starts to look into the need in order to move with action like to me that ins- that inspires me sorry drew i get inspired by those movies drew hates being inspired um, <laughs> so don't try to inspire drew but um when the real life examples of of people it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman who does that i I'm, ex- I'm inspired to go, okay, that's what I need to be doing. What, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time with whatever, 
frivolous things. That's what I need to be about. And so that, that speaks to me. I think there's something there. Here's another example. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at a real simple example of Jesus. Philippians 2, and then New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. Go eat popcorn. God's Electric Power Company. JP, what do you think? No? Okay. All right. Philippians 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God's Electric Power Company. Come on. All right. So, Jesus, we could look at several, actually I'll mention several examples uh, of Jesus here in a second. But Philippians 2 sums it up pretty well. Start at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish, sorry, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So he was willing to let go of something important because he understood something that was more important in that moment. Okay? He was willing to let go of something important, of something that meant something to him in order to, in order to move um, towards something more important in that moment. Not that his divinity wasn't important. Obviously it was. Not that right, being one with God wasn't important, but, it, but he recognized, right? He heard, he saw, he moved Verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He denied himself, becomes a servant. So he was selfless, right? We know this verse that um, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this idea of, of men taking what they want for their own purposes and their own selfish need doesn't fit with, with um, a, a biblical understanding of manhood, really, of, of, of a Christian, um, but certainly of manhood. In verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So humility, obedience, and the ultimate sacrifice. These are things that Jesus did. These are things that Jesus exemplified as, as a man. And... And so when I hear those things, you know, I'm thankful for him as say first and foremost for him as being victorious over sin and death in my life, and that he is not just my example; he is way more than that. Um, but but I also look at him and I go, okay, that's what it means to be a man. So at some point, I don't know when. At some point, Jesus, I I, I think at some level. Um, whether it was Genesis 3 or I don't know, right, before the creation, before we were created, he, because he stands outside of time. But at some point, I, I believe, this, this process of him listening to our pain and brokenness, remembering what was important, what is important, um, our reconciliation with the Father, looking into our need, and then moving with action. So I think those words help. Um, several years ago, I was, in a, I was in a life group. We were talking about... Um, we, with some married couples, and and uh, we got into a really fascinating discussion about roles of men and women 
and how we should treat each other and, and love one another and respect each other and all these things. And it just got me thinking. Um, so, we, of course, we go to Ephesians 5. It's kind of the, the, the big marriage, you know, whatever, statement, um, definition or example or whatever. And, and this, this struck me. I've never, I'd never really thought through this. But it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right? We've all heard that. And so I started thinking, okay, so Jesus, how did you love the church? So I just started kind of going through and just kind of skimming through the Gospels and going, okay, how did you love the church in a way that, that shows me how to love my wife? And so I'm going to give you these, these things. There's ten things. All right? And, and you can just write down, I have a word for each. Actually, there's a couple words for a couple of them, but anyway, you'll, I'll, I'll make it clear. So here, here's... Let me, let me start by saying this. this. I believe this. I believe that men um, were made to, okay, I believe, offer our strength. I think it's something that we have. And I think it's something that we, um, we tend pridefully focus on sometimes. But nonetheless, I think it's God-given. And I think we're called to offer our strength. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that there aren't women stronger than me. In fact, um, I gave, um, I asked Jill Prather permission, okay? If you guys know Jill Prather, do you guys know who Jill Prather is? She, she is, she's like, well, she makes, makes all of us look good at Sunnybrook. She, she's like our office manager. She keeps everybody organized. Anyway, she is 10 years to the day older than me. To the day. We were born on the same day, July 31st. 10 years apart, okay? She's so, she's 50. I'm 40. She's 50 years old. And, we go to the same gym, and she beats me all the time. Okay? Drives me crazy. She's crazy strong. So, but, but there is something about strength in boys. You, 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 you can't be around boys, and, and you know, they'll want to show you their muscles. They'll want to flex. There, there's something, I think, innate in them, in us, um, to recognize a strength and to want to offer our strength. So, so anyway... What I came up with is, this is how Jesus offered his strength to the church, okay? Through sacrifice. Talked about that. Through serving her. Leading her closer to God. Um, providing and protecting. I put those two together because that's how Paul defines love in Ephesians 5. Holy cow. So much for Cune. Um, providing Protecting um, is, is love. Uh, fifth is persevering when it was tough and not giving up. Uh, he truly valued her. Right? He, he, he valued her enough to want to spend time with her, want to nurture her, want to um, die for her. Right? So he valued her. Um, he forgave. He was quick to forgive. He prayed for her. John 17. He offered his strength physically. Right? Carried a cross and took a beating. Right? There, was, there was a physical demand on his life. Traveled around, walked around, got up early in the morning, spent nights in prayer, and then would preach to thousands. Right? So there's a physical demand on his life. And he offered that to her. And he spoke truth and grace. He was full of truth and grace. He spoke truth and grace to her. So, those are some things that I think are helpful for me as I, as I think about what it means to be a man. Now, defining it. Let me give you a couple quick definitions. Um, 
The Hebrew, long story short, um, I don't want to make too much of this. I think I have made too much of this maybe in the past. I don't want to make too much of it, but I think it's fascinating. Um, the, the Hebrew word in, in Genesis one twenty seven for male, God could have chose, there's two, three different words he could have chose. And he chose this one word, and it, it has an interesting root that, that talks about this idea of remembering. Okay, So it's something about males, they're called to remember. It's actually something Adam didn't do, right? Didn't remember the one thing. Adam, you had one job. <laughs> Don't do that. And he, yeah, he didn't remember to tell his wife. So, remembering is a part of it. And then Jesus quotes that same verse in, in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10. And, and the, the word that Jesus uses for male has this idea of um, carrying a weight, of, of carrying something with strength. And so Larry Crabb in his book, Fully Alive, puts, puts this definition together, which I've really liked and enjoyed, and I think it, think it helps. He says, a man reveals God when he remembers what's important in order to move with strength to make an impact. So I like that. Like when I, when I remember what's important, okay, what's really important here? Not my own needs, not my own whatever. What's really important um, it's in order that I can move with, with the strength that God's given me, whatever it is, with the gifts, that God's, whatever I have, to make an impact. Because Larry Crabb goes on to say, the, the man's deepest need, I think there's some, a lot of truth here, as I've spent time with older men as they get close to the end of their life. Man's deepest fear is to not matter. Is to, not, to have no impact on a situation. And I felt that. I felt those moments with people where I've, I feel like I, I can't do anything, like there's nothing I can do. I'm just helpless. And those are hard. Those are actually really good for us as men to realize, okay, yeah, I'm not God, so obviously I can't f- fix everything. But, but to get to the end of our... You show me a man who doesn't, doesn't believe he matters, and I'll show you a man who is at best on his way to an addiction. At best, at very best on his way to an addiction, and it gets way worse. So, I think there's something to that. Here's the second definition, and I'm already late, is, um, and this is from a 33 series, uh, which is on Right Now Media, about biblical manhood, and I think this, I love this definition, because I think it's practical, I think men connect to it. Um, I've, I've worked, I'm in a, I have a men's group on Tuesday nights at the church, and I've been in one for now, a little over a year and a half, and, the guys really respond to this definition. It says, Biblical manhood rejects passivity. There's four things. Rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and invests eternally. Okay? Rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, invests eternally. And I can give you all kinds of examples of how Adam didn't do those things and how Jesus did all those things, right? Rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, invests eternally. So, last thing I want to say, guys, um, and I forgot to say something to the ladies, so I'll say that here in a second. Um, Last thing I want to say, actually, let me say this to the ladies first, and then I'll say the last thing. Okay, Uh, what I wanted to say at the beginning, ladies, was to listen for, and it's probably too late because you've already tuned me out. No, to listen for things that will help you encourage the men in your life, okay? To listen for things that will help you encourage 
the men in your life, and to listen for things and to become aware of things that you can do to actually discourage the men in your life. There are things that you can do to discourage men in your life, and I want you to be aware of those things. Okay, so that's what I meant to say. forgot to. Men, last, last thing is you will, you will actually take care of your future responsibilities if you begin to focus on your current roles and responsibilities now. If you begin to see the things that God's given you now and, and you begin to take those serious for God's glory, then, then those, those future things will take care of themselves because you will be in the habit of taking responsibility and all those things. And so there's, I have t- two sets of questions. The first is this. What has God entrusted you with now? What has God entrusted you with now? Um, what things or gifts or abilities or opportunities? And how can you bring glory, glory to God in those things? The second question, second set of questions is, who has God allowed you to have influence with? Who has God allowed you to have influence with? Okay, is it siblings, niece and nephew, friends, girlfriend? And how could you offer your strength to serve them? So what could you do to offer what God has given you to them? Okay? So that's what I have. It is 9.32. Do we have time for... Eight, eight minutes? Okay. So um, Rachel's going to come up here. Drew's going to come up here. And I, there's one thing. I don't know if we have... If you can do this short. Okay. Okay. But um, what, what's... As you're listening to this, what's something that is helpful for the girls to hear, for the ladies to hear. Well, I think you said a lot of it. So I think the first thing is starting with understanding that if we as men and women are made in the image of God, ladies, it's important that we understand God's design because it reveals to us part of who he is um, uniquely, that, that he designed the man to be able to display and give us that picture. So that's the first reason. It, it matters because of my relationship with the Lord um, and the way that I see Him and the way that I understand Him. I think it also matters because um, we do. We have a responsibility to encourage um, and uplift the men in our lives. And that's going to look like a lot of different things over the span of your life. You know, maybe right now it is to be able to encourage um, your, your Christian brothers. Um, but if you should you enter into marriage one day, you know you need to know these things so that you can know how to encourage and pray for um, your husband. Um, I think you even need to know like these are the kind of things that I want to be looking for. Um, you know, if, if there's somebody that I might be considering um, dating, those kinds of things are important. Um, and then, should God bless you with children, like we are, we need to be raising boys to be men, um, to be godly men. And so that's that's kind of the short good. answer. That's good. Any questions? What was your first question? That was the last. What was what has God entrusted you with? What has God placed under your care? And how can you bring God glory in that? Yeah. 
that's a good question. Mm -hmm. uh, why would he choose that? Why did God choose to? I don't. I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> um, it's a really good question. I would say throughout the Bible, there's examples of God demonstrating His like motherly characteristics. Even Jesus, right, in a, in a text just a few weeks ago, says, "How I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks." Right, and so. And so there are there are some these these examples where you see and and I and I believe that if if we were to do the same thing which the, you ladies might do next week do the same thing I don't know is is look at examples in the Bible of, of maybe how God revealing femininity is and and how Jesus does those things too because I think there's some things that are natural in uh, and, and Drew you've been alluded to Jesus was the most compassionate and nurturing right so there's like these things that are maybe innate in women um, that I think Jesus exemplified as well. But I, I get that. I don't know. I don't know how you, um, how you connect with him other than trusting that. I've always even wondered, okay, so if all of us are becoming like Jesus and was Jesus was a man, how does that work for the women? Right? Um, but, but I think... I think God is way bigger than that, and that, that He's given you gifts and abilities, and passions and interests, and natural things and um, specific things. That um, that as that as He pours His Spirit out on you, and as He develops, those become very natural, normal ways for you to live out what it means to be a woman, a follower of Jesus. So, I probably you probably should answer that. By the way. So I think that, that last question raises a, a really interesting topic. Um, just to think about it, yeah, that is strange. I usually don't think about that, though, as, you know, genderless God. But uh, do you think it may be that Jesus came as a man, um, especially maybe because, like, the context of time? Uh, because, you know, there are definitely, you know, differences in, in gender. If, like, Jesus was a woman, like, he wouldn't be uh, taken as same as he yeah. was. No, I, I think I think you're absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's no way him coming as a woman in that time period would have had the same impact. Yes. I'm not even sure what I'm asking here. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not either. Leave with that. <laughs> when I was a boy, I always looked to like I would be a man at age 16 when I could drive, or I'd be a man at 18 when I'm legally a man. Whenever I could drink alcohol, then I'm a man. Um, and I get, I get to, I'm 20, and I'm just like, I still feel like a, a boy that's just trying to figure this thing out. Um, is there, I don't, I don't, when do you become a man? <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Answer me what I'm asking. <laughs> I think, I, I think that's a really good question, that's why. You know, cultures for so long, a lot of cultures have had, like, these rites of passage and these rites of manhood because it's hard because that, that, that is a hard question to answer, right? But I really do think that the answer is that um, manhood is something that is grown into. And so there's not a 18, you are, 22, you are, graduate from college, you are, right? So like my son, I try to do, the, I try to do little things with my son when I see him uh, open the door for somebody or when I see him do things to take care of his sisters or whatever. 
I, I try to make sure to get down, you know, on his level and just say, dude, way to go. That's that's the stuff that man that, that men do. And I just try and tell him, like, that's your being a man right now. And so I think there's levels in which Hudson is taking on manhood at six, even though he's not, I, I don't expect him to be a man right now. I don't expect all of that from him. But I really do believe there's, there's um, that it grows into that. And so... Um, so yeah, I guess my, my definition, I think every one of us hits it at different times or whatever, and all of us are continuing to grow up into that throughout our lives, you know, so. Scott, you said something about, in, like, finding, women should find ways to encourage men to be men and discourage men, I guess, and I just was wondering if you could offer some examples about, like, what that means and what it means in different contexts. Mm -hmm. So what would it mean for a brother at the table? What would it mean for my dad at home? <laughs> let me give, uh, let me say some let me say some practical things and, and I, I don't know if we'll be able to answer but it does matter uh, believer or unbeliever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it does matter authority figure or not authority figure in your life and so um, those things get those things get a little bit more difficult as to the weight of responsibility I have I have a greater weight of responsibility towards a believer mm -hmm. who is not an authority figure in my life than an unbeliever or someone who is over me. Um, I also find, and I don't know if this is, I'm not saying this is good, bad, or indifference, but guys, um, when they feel like they are, you, Scott said you have the ability to like discourage somebody, like women really do have the ability, and when, when guys feel like they are um, picked at or wounded over something they're not measuring up to, a lot of times guys know that intuitively already, like they, or in, they, Maybe not just intuitively, like they know I'm not measuring up. And to hear that in a harsh or, or stabbing way does not cause a guy to react and rise to the occasion. Instead, it often causes him to kind of like shrink back, I think. And so I find that like I, I respond, I won't respond well no matter what my wife says. I do not always do that. I respond best when she affirm, when I'm doing something that is right and she takes the time to affirm that and say, I needed that from you. That was helpful to me. I appreciate that. And so um, to be able to point that out, and again, in, in, you know, again, it gets weird when it's not your spouse, but it's brother, but to be able to say, man, the way you, the way you did that tonight for our group, that was something that I think was helpful for our group. We needed that from you, and so I appreciate that. So to affirm when you see it happening um, and then to find gentle ways to challenge when it's not, you know. I don't know if you would have. I think asking questions is huge. Like, I, I find so many times, rather than just coming at somebody, you know, and telling them all the ways that they're doing things wrong, of gently and lovingly um, just asking questions that can be a huge way to lead. And what you're doing as a woman, and we'll talk more about this next week, but you're, that's an invitation um, to, to engage and to, you know, let kind of let the walls come down and to be real with one another. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the best advice I have for that. And that, that's, you know, it is different whether they're a believer or not a believer, but across the board, I think asking questions is a great place to start. We'll do one more. It's short. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know your short questions. No, it is. Okay, so I'm not a gentle person. Oh, surprise. Okay. Just like, okay, but there are other women in here, girls, whatever people in here that can relate. But like, how, what are some practical ways of being gentle? 
to men. When like, okay, especially when it is when it is a societal or worldly thing that they're doing, and mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, like no, like I, I don't, you know, but, like when I it's think just it's not like. How do you feel about me opening the door for myself? Okay, that's a bad example because we should still open doors. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think, how do you be gentle? Even I think just life. rather than coming into a situation where you are accusing, right. you you are able to take a step back and say, hey, how are you feeling about this? And that starts the conversation, okay? So, like, a really, I heard Matt Chandler give this example one time. I thought it was really practical. But basically, he said, I've been really busy lately, and I have not been doing devotions with my kids and with my family. And so rather than attack me and my wife tell me how I'm so busy, I need to stop doing, you know, X, Y, Z, and start doing these things over here, she said to him, like, hey, how are you feeling about, like, kind of the lack of this? And are there some things I, like, would it help if I had dinner ready ready earlier? Like, would that be helpful so that we could get this done? So rather than just telling them, this is what's wrong with you, it is opening the conversation, like, how do you feel about this? Kind of let them say, you know, give you that invitation of say what's on your heart and let's, like, let's talk about it. And how can I come alongside and support and encourage you? Like, what things can I do to help you you know, in this, whatever the area is. And that would be, like, passive. I guess, like, gentle for me has, like, a negative connotation, like, passivity. Like, instead of just saying out, like, what you mean, you're, like, beating around the bush. Like, as men, how do you respond to that? Like, is it a good thing? Does that make sense? Because, like, yeah. I just straight up, I would be know? careful to patronize. Right. Like, hey... I don't want to hurt your feelings. Yeah. Right? As soon as... I'm not saying do yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Yeah, yeah. But, right, so... So I don't think there's anything wrong with, there's, there's nothing wrong with being straightforward right. and, and letting you, you know, right? you got to be able to say, hey, this is bothering me, if something's bothering you. you got to be able to say it, and they got to be able to take it. Um, but I think there's, there's, there's ways that honor them, like what she's describing. There's ways that, that can honor them. And, and, you know, it's really hard to, I'm sitting here thinking, it's really hard to describe, you know, Rachel has the, the, the luxury of having a, a son at home. So now she's getting to see this this boy that she loves, and she's watching him, and she's figuring out ways that 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 honor him and that are that don't honor him, and right, and then she's now seeing oh that's a, and right, and then she gets to see her husband in a new light, right? Because someday her her son may have a wife, and she's going to want that wife to treat her son in a certain way, and so like that really does something to to help you go. And the same with, with, with fathers and daughters, to go, wow, I don't want anybody to treat my daughter the way I'm treating my wife, right? So you start to think about things differently. And, I, and, and so that's what, what's going through my mind as I'm struggling to give you some practical things because I think at some level you've got to be straightforward. And, 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 but let, you know, back to your question, Kelsey, um, you know, I think in, in, in a real genuine way, you can let, whether it's a brother at the table or your, or your your dad, you can let them know how they matter to you and how they're significant and, and what they do that makes a difference in your life. And, and if you can verbalize those things, communicate those things in real ways and not patronizing ways, hey, I can't open this jar. You're so strong. Can you open it? Please, like, see through that stuff, right? Um, so... So, now, at some level, they'll be like, yeah, whatever, okay. 
you know, that's, they'll, they'll still, they'll still do say, it. And then you say, hey, and while you're opening this jar, maybe stop being so freaking selfish. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I would say, here's... <laughs> but, but, what... Okay, what, what Scott said earlier, though, is this, that, like, men were designed to be people who were doing something. So I think that statement yeah. of, like, like, I'm just going to tell you, like, we need this from you. We need you to step up in this area. And men can, I think men yeah. will rise to that. If they'll yep. be, if they're, if, if they'll be a man, they'll rise to that to just say, hey, I'm just, as your sister in Christ, we need more of this from you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're, we're can't, like, we we women bring this, you bring this, and we need that from you, and I think they'll rise to that, so, good break. Okay, I think we're done, we're done, come up, and we'll yeah, talk. Yeah, if you have more well, questions, we'll talk. I actually on to that, um, what you mean, when you just ask somebody, or you want to tell them a problem, I'd say one thing is, don't just assume motive, because maybe, like, you may be doing a problem, but don't assume that they're, they're, they're yeah, wrong doing intentions. it purposely, or, they yeah. They have right intentions, they just, they don't realize what they're doing. Wrong. Absolutely, it's a great point, it's a great point. All right, break. There's, is there food? There's snacks.